Amen. Amen. The church say amen. amen. Y'all happy to be here or what? Say amen again, church. Amen. You ought to be glad to be here today. Yes. To give God some praise yes. for bringing you through another week. Amen. You know, he brought us here last week, didn't he? Yes. And that same God who brought us here last week woke us up and brought us here eight days later, yes. right back here again. Yes. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. Some people, since we last met, have died. Some members of our own body. Yeah. Eight days ago they were living. Today they've been called from labor to reward. Yeah. Yeah. We ought not forget that. We're not trying to scare folk. If you, uh, when you talk about death, you're talking about something that everybody must experience. Yeah. So ain't nobody trying to scare you. You just need to get ready for what is coming. Yeah. What we know is coming. And not try to wait until we on our last leg to give God a little praise and honor. When we can't do nothing else. That's when some folk are planning to come. And they can't do nothing else but sit around and sing praises. Then they say, I'll come. But the wise man Solomon has taught us that we ought to teach our children to seek the Lord while they are young. During the days of your youth. While the evil days don't come. So you need to commit to something before the storm comes. We're living in a time of storm now, right? And they, they, you see folk out and they're preparing. They're not just sitting there saying we're waiting for the storm. People are putting up stuff, sandbags and whatever. To get ready for the storm. You need to get ready. For the storm. Because it is certainly coming. And for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no need to fear. For Revelations teaches us. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Yes. From henceforth they uh, cease their labors. And their works will follow them. And that's what we're looking forward to. That's why we keep coming here, because we still have faith that there is something on the other side. That when we're dead to this life, it's not just over. And I don't know if hearing that has caused some people to really think about that or not. But you need to understand that when this life is over, if that's all there is, then we haven't lost a thing. But if there's something else over there where we are called upon to give an account of what we did in this life and we haven't done it, then we're the losers. There are no do-overs. And everything we teach is directed to that purpose. It's good to see you this morning. Especially those of you who may be visiting with us who haven't been with us before or you've been with us before and you've chosen to be back again. We appreciate you. We thank God for you because there's so many other things you could have done and we understand that. That we are not uh, bigger and better than anybody else. But you chose us because the Lord chose you. <laughs> he, broke, he woke you up this morning and put on your heart to come to this place. 
And if the Lord directed you here, there is something he has for you to hear. He has a word that's specifically for you. So I, 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 I discourage you as we talked this morning from saying, I sure wish so-and-so was here. So-and-so is here. You. You ought to be thankful to God that you're here. And you're hearing what he has to say. You know that we've been studying in Acts for a while now. And many of the topics we've dealt with, both in Sunday school and in the, the, the sermon itself, has to do with the growth, the development, the beginning of the Lord's church in the book of Acts. Now, I want to caution you about this. I was talking with someone the other night, and they said one of the things that gives me some impression of where people are in terms of religion is he says, I ask them what in their mind is the greatest book of the Bible. What is the greatest book of the Bible? And he said, if they say to me anything other than Acts, I'm skeptical. And the reason he says that is because of all the places in the word, Acts is the book where the Lord's church starts. So you can't possibly be associated with that if you don't know anything about the book of Acts. And there are a lot of folk out there today who will tell you, I'm in church, I'm saved, I'm doing what I need to be doing. And you say, well, have you read the book of Acts? No, I've never read the book of Acts. I haven't needed that. <laughs> what we're going to deal with this morning has to do with a situation that came up in the church as one of the first major issues that was threatening to split the Lord's church. And it had to do with race and nationality. It had to do with the Jews and their feelings about the Gentiles. It had to do with the Gentiles and their feelings about the Jews. And God had to show them something by allowing some things to happen. Now I want to just read, we, we've been dealing with Part, bits and pieces and Brother Jerry has moved us up a few more uh, verses or so in, in, in Acts chapter 15. I just want to reiterate so that we can refresh your memory what we're dealing with here. In the book of Acts in the 15th chapter, the church has been doing well, but every place Paul and Barnabas have gone, they have met with some kind of resistance to the truth. And I want you to understand, folk, that as Christians, we're not, we're not promised to sail through life on a flowery bed of ease. Right. When you tell people the truth as it is in the scriptures, yeah. folk don't like it. <laughs> Generally, folk don't like what they don't want to do. If you read something to them from the word of God and they don't mind doing that, they'll, they'll embrace it wholeheartedly. But there are other certain things you can say that they'll say, well, I don't know about that. But it came from the same book, same chapter, and they'll say, well, I don't know about that. Well, what, what we want to discover this morning is what's happening 
When a person goes from one place in the scriptures where they say, I embrace that, to another place in the scriptures where they say, I don't know about that. Because that's what's happening in, in, in Acts the 15th chapter. Now let's look at just verses 1 through 5. Now, certain men came down, the Bible says, from Judea and taught the brethren, that's those who are members of the body of Christ, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So I want you to understand that this is really not about just circumcision. The thing that makes this chapter so important for us is that these who were talking about circumcision were saying that the Gentiles, in order to be saved, must be circumcised. They were talking about physical circumcision because that's what the Lord had commanded. Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 and following, the Lord had told them, this is what I want you to do, and this is the covenant that I'm going to make with you because of what I want you to do. Now, I want you to uh, listen again now to Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. But I want you to understand we're talking about salvation. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, and dispute. That means they were arguing with each other. And the Bible says it wasn't a small dispute. So people weren't sitting around whispering to each other. They, they were actively involved in debate. So somebody over here is saying one thing and somebody over here is saying something else. And nobody's giving in. You know that nobody's giving in when your conversation can go from a small dissension to no small dissension. When the, when the argument has gone from you talking mildly to you shouting at each other, to you pointing your finger at folk, to you get to the place of dispute. And the Bible says after they had had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. It's a wise thing when even among those of like minds, we have some dissensions from time to time because those dissensions will cause us to be able to recognize those who are grounded in the word as opposed to those who are not. So it's just natural that offenses will come, Jesus says, from time to time. You're going to run into people even in the body who don't agree with what you think and you don't agree with what they think. But it gives us a schematic for how to handle those times. Four, struggles to understand the truth of the gospel are not new. And in this 15th chapter, the early church reveals how they also faced and overcame the problems and the issues they were dealt with, they had to deal with. So the Bible says once they had this dispute, they didn't go to fighting after they had this argument. But the Bible says they determined that the best thing to do 
was to go to Jerusalem to the leaders, to the apostles and the elders, and to ask them about this question. Some believe that the Gentiles cannot be saved unless they were circumcised or are circumcised just like we've been circumcised as Jews. Why should the Lord bring them into the body with a different set of requirements that he brought us in with? Is in, in, in essence what they're saying. And then verse 3 says, so being sent on their way by the church. Everybody's in agreement here about how this thing is to be handled. They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But, always a but. When things are going fine in the church, there's always a but, folks. Because the Bible says wherever we're doing good, the devil is there with us. So there's always going to be a but. And if you don't expect a but, you don't know the word of God. Whenever God's will is being done, the devil will raise his head. Let me say this while I'm in that area. You know what? Oh, the devil listens in on our prayers. The devil knows what we ask God for. And I believe that some of those times when God says no, the devil steps in and says yes. If that's what you want, I'll give it to you. Remember in Matthew 4, he took Jesus up on this high place and showed him all the stuff that he'd given. See, God has allowed the devil to have some stuff. And the devil will give it to you if you'll sell your souls to him. So you need to understand that there is a way that you can tell if the Holy Spirit, the Godhead is answering your prayers or whether it's the devil answering your prayers. God is never going to answer your prayer if your motive is wrong. You're not going to get anything from God if your motive is wrong. The devil will give you anything you want regardless of your mode. So when you know you're asking for something that's not right, why would you walk away saying, I heard from God and he stamped approval on what I want? Come on now. Let's go further. When they had come to Jerusalem, the Bible says they reported all things that God has done with them. And they, they, they reported as well that there were some problems brewing regarding the Gentiles. Basically what they were saying is we don't want the Gentiles in the church. And I'm so glad they resolved this thing. Because if they hadn't resolved it, we'd have a church of the circumcision and a church of the uncircumcision still today. If nothing, if nobody had gotten together and resolved this issue, we'd have some churches today splitting because of circumcision and uncircumcision. Physical circumcision and uncircumcision. So where I'm moving to today is this place. Let me summarize 
the message for you and then just give you a few tidbits. The problem with these people, because the Bible says some of them were believers. See, some of them were members of the body, which means they had already accepted Christ as Lord. They were believers. And they were arguing with other believers, Paul and Barnabas, about a particular situation. Now, here's the problem. Here, here is the basis of the problem. There is a big comma at the end of the Old Testament. What you to think about this. Which suggests that what is to follow is just as important as what has gone before. You with me? Let me ask you this, because this, this is where we're moving. Here is our, here is our text this morning. Here is our, our title. The danger of knowing part of the truth. There's a danger in knowing a little bit of the truth. That'll mess you up. The danger of knowing part of the truth. Have you ever tried playing a game without knowing all the rules? And every time you maybe seem like you win and somebody comes up with a rule that shows you no, know, you lose it. Because you really don't have all the rules to the game. Let me ask further. Have you ever drawn some conclusions without all the facts? Mm-hmm. Have you ever judged somebody that you really didn't know? You made some decisions about them and you don't know anything about them. Have you ever summed up someone's character based on a single truth about them? The truth that you know may be just that truth. But have you summed up their character, their worth, by that one thing? These are questions that surround Acts chapter 15. Now let me tell you something. Now I want you to come a little closer now. Lean in so you can listen. <laughs> have you been trying to understand the Old Testament? without reading the New Testament or the New without reading the Old. I want you to answer that for yourself now. Because if you have, you're probably confused about many things. This happens because you only know bits and pieces of truth rather than the big picture. You need to understand this neither testament can be properly understood without the other. Now I want to direct your attention again today to Galatians chapter 3. Let's go there. And I don't know, what did you read this morning, Brother Stevens? Did you read 3, 24 through 29? Okay, because that didn't seem like what I heard. Maybe I put the wrong thing on that page. I'll take responsibility for that. But let me direct your attention to Galatians chapter 3. Verses 24 through 29. Let's read that together. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Here's what the Bible has to say about the difference in the two commandments. 
Let's begin at verse 22. But the scripture has confined all under sin. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under God by the law. Kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Some versions say schoolmaster. To bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come. We are no longer under a tutor. Or schoolmaster. For you are all sons of God. Through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ. Have put on Christ. So now there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise, the heirs of uh, the promises of God. Now let me, let me just give you some passages that I want you to put as it regards this lesson today. These are simply background passages. Galatians chapter 1 verse 13 through chapter 2 verse 10. Paul says in that account that there were two times that he went to Jerusalem. On one of those occasions he visited with Peter that's recorded in Acts chapter 9 verses 26 through 31 this was soon after Paul's conversion and then you remember Barnabas met with him there and helped him gain acceptance with the church and he got to know Peter on that visit his second visit was when he came with Barnabas and Titus with a gift to the needy because of a famine. That's recorded in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30 and 12, 25. On this visit, Paul describes his gospel message to the Gentiles, and no one among the apostles or leaders of Jerusalem had anything to add to it. Nobody said, no, Paul, you out of place. Nobody said, well, that's good, but let me add this little bit to it. Everybody seemingly accepted that God's missionary to the Gentiles was Paul. Yeah. So now I want you to understand yeah. that Paul faced opposition to this message everywhere he went. Everywhere he taught the gospel, somebody was jumping up in his face saying, that's not true. But specifically, they really got mad when he started talking about, some of those Jewish Christians really got mad when he talked about the Gentiles being accepted into the body of Christ without circumcision and without having to keep the laws of Moses and the customs of Judaism. So in Galatians chapter 2, which is the next chapter I want to give you, verses 11 through 16, 
Paul says in two places, verse 5 and verse 14, that he defends the truth of the gospel. And we studied this morning in uh, the 15th chapter of Acts how Paul said, after I heard them and what they were saying, I didn't let, I didn't give them one hour. I didn't lighten up on them. I didn't say to them, well, this is minor stuff. We can talk about it later. Paul said, they said it, and I straightened them out right away. I didn't tarry with straightening them out. So he had to let them know what the Lord's will was. Now, they were believing what they were believing, probably for one, one particular reason. And let me say this. Not all of those who believe and took issue with the teachings of Paul and Barnabas on this matter were rabble-rousers. There were some rabble-rousers. There were some folks who just gave Paul and Barnabas a problem because they were covetous. They were envious. They were drawing the attention that they wanted. You know about it like that? You know the people in the church who get angry because you draw attention that they want? That people don't pay as much attention to you as they do somebody else. That's where some people were. They were envious. Their motives weren't good, though. You ought not be worshiping him. You ought to be worshiping me. When the truth is, you ought not be worshiping either one of you. But there are people who get angry about stuff like that. There were some Christians who were angry at Paul and Barnabas because the folk were listening to them. And what they listened to, they were liking because it was in keeping with the word of God. But here is the handicap of some of those people. Some of them were simply ignorant of and resistant to the teachings of Jesus. They had already accepted Jesus. The Bible says they were believers. But they had an attitude about these Gentiles. Well, where did that come from? I want you to understand that at the time of this account, those Jews only had Genesis to Malachi. You understand what I'm saying? The New Testament, Matthew through Revelations, hadn't been written yet. It was being written. As it was happening, it was becoming history. And somebody was writing it down, but the only thing these Jews knew is that, well, mm, the first thing you told us is there's a Messiah who dies on a cross. That's a hard enough message to say. Though. But now you're telling us that our Bible is wrong. Because the only Bible they knew was Genesis through Malachi. That's why I said to you in the beginning, there is a big comma after the Old Testament. Because you can't read the Old Testament without realizing that it's incomplete. Because it's prophesying something that hasn't happened yet. So there has to be another part of this. You know, if you don't see it that way, let me, let me say it to you this way. If somebody comes up to you and says, if it doesn't rain today, and just walks off, <laughs> it seems like they're going to start a conversation with you, but they ended with, if it doesn't rain today, 
And you're what? You're waiting for the rest of it. Well, what? Well, if you read only the old law, at the end of reading it, you ought to be still listening for, I got the prophecy. But where's the reality of what was prophesied? So what are you saying, Brother I'm saying that many people have religious difficulties today because they treat the Bible as if it were a novel that they're trying to read. Now, you, you, you let me know if you've ever tried this. Have you ever picked up a novel that you're going to read and start in the middle of it? Just, you know, there are 500 pages. You start on page 250 and see if you can understand. Well, that's what we do when we turn over to Matthew and start our study of the scriptures. Because, see, there are 39 other books that come before Matthew that puts Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Acts and Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians, all of those books have no meaning unless we've studied the whole law. So there are some of us who pick up the scriptures and study the new law as if that's the only thing that matters. And I'm going to let you know this. If that's what you're doing, probably you're confused about some things <laughs> that have changed since the old law was enforced. Okay? But I want you to have a little sympathy for, these, for some of these believers because they were trying to demand that what was taught them in the old law, in Genesis 17, beginning with verse 9, that's all they were trying to do. They were saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Lord said that every person, every male who was going to be a part of his nation on the eighth day must be circumcised. And here these Jews, hundreds of years later, the descendants, here they're descendants, saying, if you want to be a descendant of Abraham, our father, then the Lord commanded, and his covenant with us was that we would be circumcised. It's not that they were rabble-rousing in some case. They were only dealing with the truth they had. But here's what gives them away. The Bible says that they had believed on Jesus. Now, you can't believe on Jesus saving you by grace through faith and hold on to the old law at the same time where you had to be circumcised and you had to keep these new moons and all these festivals. And Lord have mercy, we would have gone crazy. And people still trying to latch on to the old law. And every time Jesus taught, he said something that let them know or they should have known that a change is in the works here. Jesus taught them in the Sermon on the Mount. That was the beginning for them. All you sitting around, all these Jews sitting around, many of whom were believers, and when Jesus said, you have heard that it has been said. Right? Thou shalt love your brother and hate your enemy. But I'm telling you to love your enemy. That's flying directly in the face of the, uh, of the New Testament, of the Old Testament. Yeah. Right. 
You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh -huh. All law. But I say unto you that you don't take vengeance out on those who are trying to destroy you. That you love them. Oh, that was an entirely new law for them. You have heard that it has been said that thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that the man who looks on a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. They had to know that was new. They just didn't want to accept it. They didn't want to change it. So when you don't want to change something, generally you strike out at it and criticize it. You, know, you remember in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, when they caught that woman in the act of adultery? See, let me tell you something. If you don't believe that Ephesians 2, 8 describes how we're saved, and that is that we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. Look, what that means is there is nothing that we can do beyond our faith which leads us. Now look, James says in James 2, if you don't, it's not all right just to say I have faith. You show your faith by what you do. And the Christian who has faith, the person who has faith and is looking to come to Jesus follows that faith by acting on it. That faith will cause you to repent. That faith will cause you to confess Christ. There's no such thing as having faith in the Lord and not being willing to confess it. That faith will cause you to be baptized. Now, I want to give you a piece of the dilemma. What if I were to stand up here today and tell you that no longer does God require baptism in order for us to be saved. This is kind of equivalent. How would that make you feel? This is kind of equivalent to what they were quibbling about. They weren't quibbling, though. They were arguing. But somebody who comes and changes God's law, and people are doing it every day, folks, all over this city and all over the world for convenience sake. Well, you know, all you have to do is believe in the Lord and ask him to come into your heart and you are saved. So a crucial question in our study of Acts 15 is how are we saved? Are we saved by circumcision? Are we saved because we stay away from things that are Sacrifice to idols? <laughs> Are we saved if we don't eat meat that, that's been strangled? Are we saved when we eat meat that hasn't been strangled and therefore still has some of the blood in it? <laughs> Are we saved if we commit sexual immorality? Okay? And there are people, if you ask them how they're saved, that's the way they identify their salvation. I, they'll tell you what they don't do. How do you know you saved? Well, I don't commit fornication, and I don't miss church, and I don't miss giving, and I don't miss communion, and I treat my brother right. But those are not things that save you for. 
Those are things that you do because you say. Not to be saved. We are saved by grace. Grace is unmerited favor, which simply means there's nothing we can do to be worthy of salvation. And because there's nothing we can do, God says, I'm going to give it to you because Jesus is paying the price which you need to be paid. So here's the first thing I want you to understand. These people were dealing with half of the truth. All they knew was, got to be circumcised according to the old law. But God was changing it all the time. Now, in John chapter 8, when they threw this woman in front of Jesus and said she was caught in the very act of adultery. And according to Leviticus and according to Deuteronomy 22:22, she ought to be stoned to death. Well, the Bible didn't just talk about that. The woman. You know what I'm saying? If, if you caught in the act of adultery, that takes two. Both of them ought to be stoned to death. So they brought this woman and threw her down in front of Jesus because they were being legalist. I'm going to end today by talking a little bit about legalism. People who think they can work their way to heaven. That you have to do certain things and dress a certain way. The Bible says when they threw that woman down in front of Jesus, Jesus didn't argue with them about what the law said because they were right on target. The law of Moses says in Deuteronomy 22, 22, that if they are caught, if someone is caught in the act of adultery, they should be stoned to death. And that's what they said to Jesus. Coming to trial, you see. So they said, what do you say, Jesus? The Bible says Jesus didn't answer them. You know, the, the video that we watched on Wednesday night talk about how when we are evangelizing, there are some questions that people ask that we ought to defer, just like Jesus did. There are some things Jesus knew, knew the answer to, but he, he didn't answer. The Bible says when they asked him that question, he didn't answer them, but he rather stooped and wrote something on the ground. He didn't say to them, oh, no, we're not practicing the law of Moses anymore. He said to them, since you brought it up, in essence, the one of you who is without sin, you have my permission to hit her first. Can you see a change in that? But you have to know the old before you can really appreciate the change. And these believers didn't appreciate the change because they only had half of the Bible. They weren't paying attention to the part they were writing while they were living. Now, what does that have to do with us today? There are some believers today who have their minds made up about certain things that they think should be done because that's the way they see things. And that kind of attitude will lead you into legalistic righteousness. Mm -hmm. What is legalism? Legalism is when you take parts of the scriptures uh -huh. and make them literal mm -hmm. in terms of their translation. Mm -hmm. Because it fits you. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, there are, you, there are people right here today who think that we should worship a certain way, who think that we ought to have three songs and a prayer. And God forbid if you should get up and sing one song and have a prayer 
and then say, now let's have the preacher. There are some folk here who freak out. <laughs> Child, I went today ready to sing, and they're on the same one song. Well, who said it had to be more than one? They're on the same three songs, and they only sang the first and last verse of those three. I've heard people say, if you're going to sing a song, sing all the verses. Well, that's your personal opinion. You can't bind that on the church. There are those here who feel that you are out of place if you are dressed a certain way. That some others, some are better than others because of how they dress. That's legalistic stuff. Which we have no right to bind on anybody. Those are not. You think Jesus is concerned about how we dress and that's going to be a part of how we say? You really do think we have to have on three-piece and a silk tie gaiters to meet with God's approval? But there are some of you, if somebody walked in here with some jeans on and a shirt hanging out and a pair of tennis shoes, I've heard you say, where do you think they're going? <laughs> no, the question is, where do you think they're going? They're coming to worship. Thank God he looks beyond all of this perfume and stuff. And cologne and he sees us for what we are. He told the Pharisees, he said, on the outside, you look like whitewashed shepherds. But on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You look good, but your heart hasn't been circumcised. The filth hasn't been taken away. So you're smelling good on the outside, but you're rotten on the inside. And that's where God looks in, uh -huh. on the inside. Yeah. Now, that there are people even today in the church who are legalistic. Mm -hmm. I've told you before, when I was just coming out of college, mm -hmm. you know we have a conservative wing of the Lord's church that believe, and you're seeing it in the news and on Facebook and that kind of stuff now, you're seeing some churches are making excuses so that women can preach in the Lord's church. Legalism. Well, it didn't say they couldn't if the brothers give them the authority. You can't give them authority that God hasn't given them. Let your women, Paul says, keep silent. Oh, I know y'all don't like to hear that coming from me. But it ain't coming from me. Let your women keep silent in the church. For it's not permitted unto them to speak. Some of our women have too much to say. Just like anywhere else, there are those strong real people who I don't care what you say to them. They're going to let you know what you're... A woman should learn in silence. Now, I'm not saying that you less than anybody. I'm not saying you less than anybody. God knows I'm not saying that. Don't take it that way. But God has a place for men and he has a place for women. And when Eve showed the kind of power she had over Adam, God said, you need to be checked. 
Anytime I can tell you don't do it, and your boo come and tell you do it, you need to be put in check. And that hasn't changed today. Some of y'all take over and we let you. That's the way we deal. But I want you to understand this. I don't care what the world says. God has never ordained a woman to preach anything from the pulpit. You out of your name. Now let me take you further. There are some people, conservative members of the body of Christ, who believe that it's wrong to lust in marriage. Forget about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, that in order to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every wife her own husband. There are some who believe that lust is never good, even if you have a wife. I want you to listen to this now. And that the only time you need to be with your wife intimately is if you're trying to bear children. If you're not trying to bear children, they said, then you just being a lust-filled good-for-nothing. You got too many things to do as a Christian. Why are you sitting around lusting? Lust is wrong all the time. That's their attitude. That's their pet peeve. And churches have split over that kind of teaching. Legalism. Legalism. Mm -hmm. Y'all not have that on your mind. Those are the ones that don't want you to show any kind of public display of affection. You walk around holding hands. Oh, you ain't got Jesus on your mind? <laughs> You want to give her a little hug or a kiss? God forbid you should hold her too long. Is that all you got on your mind? No, that's not all, but it is on my mind. There are some folk who believe that because the communion service was instituted the way it was, that we ought to carry it out just like Jesus carried it out at the Last Supper. In other words, they had one cup for the wine and one loaf. And they maintained that if we're going to follow the scriptures, you need one loaf. And their churches would have one loaf, folks. And they passed it around to everybody break off the loaf. That's fine. But you can't tell everybody they got to do it that way. The emphasis is not on the form of the loaf, the bread, but on the bread itself. As long as it is unleavened bread, it's good to go. So you can serve that any way you want. Now there are people who are serving the bread and the cup and the wine and all that in the same little pack. Well, that's fine. We're in the 21st century. There are some folks who are sensitive about health issues. And I don't want nobody touching my cracker. And, 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 and. 
There are people who feel like we ought to have one cup. Can you imagine that one cup? Because Jesus used one cup and they all took a drink out of it. See, you putting the emphasis on the cup, the container, rather than what's in it. Jesus says, as often as you eat my body, he didn't say eat this boat. He said, eat my body. That's where the emphasis is. And as often as you drink my blood, not as often as you lift the cup. We can take it in a paper cup. You can pour it in a peanut butter and jelly glass at home. Because the emphasis is not on the container, it's on the contents. Jesus says, be careful how you take that. Because every time you take it, not discerning its proper meaning, you're drinking damnation to yourself. What does that mean, Brother Anthony? Don't sit here while you're taking the communion thinking about what you got to do after church. Why? I wish they, I wish they hurry up. I got to make it. I got somewhere to be. If that's the way you're doing this, then you are taking it, the Bible says, in vain. It goes as far as to say, because some in the church are taking it without discerning it properly, some of you are sickly, and some have even died because of their attitude. That's God working. So that, that's the message. I, I, really, I really will deal with some more tonight, but I want us to make the distinction between being legalistic and believing that we are saved by grace through faith. Because that's the only way it can be. So, you're not saved because you've never missed a church service. You're not saved simply because you always give. And I'm going to say this to you as well. You can't tell anybody how much they ought to give. This is for those of you who say, well, you know, the Bible says our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, and they gave 10%, so we ought to at least give more than 10%. And then come up and say, well, let's give 11%. Why not 25? The Bible suggests to us in 2 Corinthians that the Lord is more concerned about how we give. Are you happy to give it? God loves a cheerful giver. And he's shown that he can be cheerful over two mites. Because it's not about the amount. What the Bible does say is if you make a commitment to give God something, you better give it to him. Read Ecclesiastes, those first couple of chapters. That give it to him. If you can't give it, don't promise it. Even if you can afford to give it, but you just decide, I ain't giving it. That's all right. Because the Bible says, if you give sparingly. Mm -hmm. We talk about not being able to pay bills. Have you ever considered that you may not be making, or you've been making the same thing for the last eight years because you give to God sparingly? And his promise is, if you do that, you're going to reap sparingly. Yeah. But if you give bountifully, 
And, and you know the thing about giving bountifully. He says, I'll cause your cup to run over. I'll give you so much until you have to say, Lord, hold up. You don't bless me enough. And see, if that's, if that's foreign to you, that tells you something that. I want to see somebody who um, the Lord been blessing like that, that they don't want no more blessing. <laughs> well, we know one thing. It ain't you. <laughs> it is not you. Let us get ourselves together, folks. And I challenge you. If you've never read the whole of the scriptures, you're missing out on a whole lot. You're missing out on a whole lot. Go and start reading from Genesis. Put yourself on a schedule. They have schedules out there where you can read the whole Bible in a year. Just read a few chapters here and there, but it'll open your eyes to some things you've never thought of. I want to leave that with you today in hopes that those of you who have never accepted Christ, to be careful of what you let people talk you into. Don't let somebody make you think you are saved and you can't even explain how you saved. There's something wrong with that. We are saved by grace through faith. Yeah. And that faith will lead us. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing in Romans 10, 17, and hearing by the word of God. So that's how we're going to be saved. Only if we're hearing and obeying the word of God, not our personal opinions, and not what people who matter to you think, but the precious word of God. If you hear this morning and it's your desire to... to to if not obey the gospel, to study about obeying. We are available and open to you. But I do require that if you want to study the word of God, come with an open mind and with your Bible in your hand. If you didn't bring your Bible today, then what you say it is, I'll accept what the preacher says. I don't even need my Bible to go behind me. I'll, I'll accept whatever he says. And that's a dangerous attitude to have with your soul. Yeah. Come together, come to the Lord right now as we stand and sing the song of invitation. And he can give you some rest. Hold to his unchanging hand. There's a happy land.